from Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome to The Dairy Show. I am your host, Lisa Benke. World Dairy Expo, as you well know, is a mecca of the dairy industry. And while many people gather there each year, there are that many more who, for whatever reason, are unable to attend. We know that last year, nearly 60,000 people made the trip to Madison. And of those 60,000, almost 3,000 were from outside of our country's border. It's just a tremendous worldwide show. But as I pointed out, there are so many who wish to be there. And through the magic of television, we are able to make World Dairy Expo available to people worldwide. As a matter of fact, at the end of this podcast, we'll get into some really fun details about that. But we know that while there are nearly 60,000 people in Madison, we had almost 72,000 people watching us worldwide. And they were watching us on Expo TV. It's available to people worldwide on YouTube and people tune in real time to watch the happenings in Madison while the show is going on. And that many more tune in afterwards to check out the results that are archived forever on YouTube. This morning, we have joining us on The Dairy Show, the man who honestly has made this all possible. I'd like to introduce you to John Salzwedel, who is the owner of Token Creek Television back in the day, which has now since become Rush Media. And John, let's back up and just let's meet you. Tell us about your background. And after we learn a little bit about where you came from, we'll get into how you became a television producer. So, John, welcome to The Dairy Show. Let's hear about where you came from. I know you're a farm boy. Well, thanks, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yes, I grew up near Columbus, Wisconsin, so not too far from Dairy Expo here in Madison. And I grew up in rural Columbia County. Though my parents didn't farm, we lived on a farm, and I was very active on the farm at a very young age. I think my first farm job was around 13 years old. And as you can imagine, The jobs that you were given back then were probably not the most fun jobs, but it put a few dollars in your pocket, and that was really what I was looking for at that time. So everything from uh, cleaning the gutters in the barns to cleaning chicken coops and all of the other really nasty things that go along with being on a farm. But as I matured and could show that I could stick with it and not be determined by by what was going on on the farm, I later on was involved with helping uh, to milk cows, bale hay, run the tractors, do everything else that you do on a farm, including getting up early in the morning and uh, making sure that you were there before the cows were let in to to do the milking. When I was about 16, I farm I was working at, uh, I was working for a farmer who had a farming accident, lost his leg in a tractor accident, and I was the sole person milking 40 head of cattle twice a day, and he eventually was able to start hobbling around on crutches. This was back in the day when prosthetics and all of the other fancy, wonderful things that they have nowadays weren't available. But so I learned discipline at a very young age, and I think in general, it really made me a better person. Those of us who grew up on farms know that there wasn't a lot of luxury of time to watch television. I'm really curious, how did you, growing up as a, as a, you know, in the dairy industry, what spurred your fascination with television? And, and how did you get from growing up on a farm into the television business? 
Fortunately for me, both my dad and I had an uncle who ran a radio TV repair shop in Columbus at the time, and I would hang out a lot with them. He had a little repair shop in his basement, and he would teach me some real basic fundamental things about electronics, and sometimes at a great detriment to me because he would do things like charge up a capacitor and leave it laying there, and he said, hand me that capacitor, and I'd get a shock. And of course, everybody would laugh. Well, you learn in a hurry. Capacitors do one thing. They store energy. And sometimes you learn the hard way and you go through life that way. Well, you know, don't be surprised. You may learn this the hard way. But I was really enthralled about the field of electronics and broadcasting in general. I always thought television was so magical. How does this work? How in the world do you take images of people, send it through the air and have people on the other end see what's going on. To me, that was the biggest driving force that I really, I hung on that. That was an area that I really wanted to be involved with. How did you make that happen? You went from your uncle's repair shop to starting a business. How did that all come about? Well, there's an interim period in there where some people may remember, but there was a conflict in Southeast Asia and a lot of us were being drafted. I I enlisted in the Air Force and I was so fortunate because they do ask you, not that it matters to them, but they do ask you, you know, do you have an interest? Is there a trade you like? Maybe they'll sometimes they like to put you in an area that you have an interest in. I was always interested in electronics. So when I was sent to Southeast Asia, I worked at uh, the radio and TV station for Armed Forces Radio and Television, entertaining the troops. That really got me locked in. I knew once I got into that field and, and worked behind the microphone or behind the camera, I really knew that that's where I was going to be. That's where I was going to spend the rest of my life in some aspect of working in broadcast television. I don't know if you watched MASH, but you are, to our U.S. troops, what radar was to radio back then. You were doing television. Is that right? You were doing images to the troops. I was doing images, right. We would do a radio show, and then we would also, because radio shift was usually about four hours, you'd have another four to six hours that you could be doing something else, putting in a you know an eight to ten hour day uh, in a regular job type of situation. So I would also work in the engineering department, and sometimes I would be running camera, sometimes I would run master control. If you ever watched or saw the movie Good Morning Vietnam, that's essentially what I did when I was overseas. That program, that movie basically was just the radio part of it and what was behind the microphone, but that was just part of the overall job that I worked on while I was overseas. Let's parlay that now. You return home from the war. What happened next in your life story? After I got discharged from the Air Force, uh, right after I got back, I met my wife. We got married, started our family, and we found out really there was no money working in radio. So I gravitated to engineering, worked at a couple of TV stations, did everything from you know master control to switching live news broadcasts to producing, directing commercials, anything that needed to be done at the TV stations. There came a time then where our family was growing and approximately 1992, I said to my wife, I would really like to start my own business and She gave me her blessing and said, yep, go ahead. Now was the time to do it. So uh, by that time, we were back here in the Madison area, and I I started up my own business. Um, And we built our first truck, which was a very small truck, in our driveway with the help of friends and lots of pizzas. (laughs) 
That's what you baited them with, pizza. Now, John, you said built a truck. Tell us, because you're familiar with this business, what does that mean when you say you built a truck? Well, I met with several manufacturers, and our first truck was a small GMC top kick truck with a 22-foot box that we had custom built on it. The box was delivered to us as an empty shell, a metal-framed box with two doors on it, a side door and a back door. And I would build equipment racks, I would do all the electronic wiring, I would do all of the electrical wiring and start putting it together to form it into a truck that could go out and do live or live to tape events. And this was my first small truck. It was a four camera truck, kind of your starter truck. It's kind of like getting out a block of wood and and your knife and you whittle it and you get it to where it looks like something and you can actually go out and uh, start securing work with it. And people would hire us. A lot of it was by word of mouth. And a lot of it was by different vendors that I would buy equipment from. And then they would turn to their clients and say, if you know somebody who's looking for a truck, go out and do this event, then uh, please send them my way. So I had a lot of referrals. And we did that for quite a number of years. We did okay. When I say we, I meant me. Because I would drive the truck. I would go engineer the truck. I would do the billing. And I would do... It was a one-man show at that point. This was about an eight-year period until about 2000 when I decided that the truck was a little bit small for what we were, where I was looking to go with the business. I hired my first employee at that point. We uh, worked with a truck builder who would provide for us a, a larger truck. The second truck was a international cab over with a 30-foot box on it. it. had more capability, more technology as it was coming on to be. It was still a standard def truck. This was still way before high definition came up came about. Once I had that truck built, we took it to Las Vegas for a broadcast show. And the truck was not finished, not even close to being finished. We had a couple of monitors in the truck. We had a couple of tape machines in the truck. We had a couple of tapes that were looping that showed some of the work that we had done in the past. I was approached by a representative from the Gulf Channel and asked, when will this truck be done? Because we might have some projects for it. And of course, my response was, when do you need to have it done? And let's get something locked in and we will make sure that it's done. So we did. Uh, we did a lot of work for the Gulf Channel for a number of years. That led us to being recognized by ESPN, Fox Sports, Big Ten Network, CBS College Sports, a lot of individual TV stations around the country that wanted to produce their their hometown football games. So it grew quite rapidly at that point into eventually what it ended up being was a fleet of four trucks. You and your wife probably had some sleepless nights thinking about, are we going to be able to float this boat? But can you recall, John, who was the first person that hired you in that truck to do a mobile? The very first truck, the very first show I did with that truck was a, a soccer tournament. Believe it or not, back in 1992, a soccer tournament in uh, Rockford, Illinois. And we did the show, and I will tell you, because the client's long gone, we were not ready to do that show. But we jumped in with both feet. We did not have everything wired up. We did, but we were able to pull off the show. And that's really kind of what the goal is always, is that ready or not, when work comes, you figure out a way to make it work. And 
That's always been my determination is that you tell us what we'll need, we'll get it done for you. We'll figure out a way to make it work. You laid down an amazing foundation. As a farm boy, you developed the work ethic and the wonder of television. And that I just love how that spun off into a career of delivering that magic. So it started out with sports. And is it by 2000, you'd grown your fleet to four trucks? That was the start of growing the fleet. That was uh, when we put the second truck on board. And at that point, we determined that the first truck was becoming quickly inadequate for most everything we were doing. So I sold that truck and then took the money from the sale of that truck because at that point, there was no debt left on the truck. And I was able to roll that money into the new truck we were building. But that's also when ESPN came to our attention. They were very interested in us. And then they began to solicit work from us by saying, if you could do this, then we would give you this. So that quickly made, I, I think within three years, we built two more trucks. So at that point, we're up to three trucks. The last truck we built, we built, I think was in 2015 when we finally had acquired our fourth truck. But clients like ESPN and Fox Sportsnet and uh, a lot of the regional broadcast channels, at that point, we were the, 90% of our work was doing sports, most of it college sports, football, basketball, volleyball, those types of events, enough that kept us busy year round. We would also pick up some corporate clients. A lot of Fortune 500 companies wanted to do their big annual meetings, their stockholder meetings. They would have image magnification with big screens in the auditoriums and they would have the president, CEO or guest speakers come in and they would make a big deal out of uh, putting these big corporate sales presentations or stockholder meetings together. So we did a lot of those and those actually worked out nice because a lot of those were off season from football or, or basketball or hockey. So those are nice fill in projects. So I would say about 10% of our work at that point became corporate work. Corporate work was very lucrative because they didn't care so much about the overall cost because their shows were kind of one-off shows. Whereas a sports contractor are gonna say, we're gonna give you 40 football games. Here's what we're gonna pay you per game. You figure out you know, what you can do with that. But the corporate stuff was like, if you can make this happen, you know, just name your price and we'll, we'll go do those. So we did a lot of corporate work because it was very lucrative. John, you have been at World Dairy Expo since 2005. You can't come down to World Dairy Expo's show ring without passing that great big trailer that's parked there. When we talk about your truck, it's this big semi-truck, the 30-footer that's parked there, and that's where the magic happens. All of the monitors and the personnel that are in there that are essentially directing and creating a television show that all of us enjoy online. I have to ask, let's back this up a little bit, John. How did your relationship relationship with World Dairy Expo come about? You were doing Fortune 500 companies and, and recording annual meetings and such, but you're you're basically invested in the sports world. You're covering collegiate and national professional sporting events, and that includes even rodeos, right? I mean, you've, you've done all kinds of sporting events. How did that come about? Videotaping a cow show in Madison, Wisconsin. Well, that's a good story. And I had to actually check with my resources this morning on that because I wasn't 100% sure, but my resources tell me that we were doing an event at the Dane County Coliseum. I don't think it was a rodeo, but I think we were doing some multi-camera show in the Coliseum. And at that time, Mark Clark was involved with uh, Dairy Expo. Mark stopped by. He saw the truck sitting there. Of course, we invited him in and he was 
as you can imagine, pretty blown away by what he saw in the truck. We struck up a relationship and, and uh, sat down with Mark and his his uh, crew and determined that we could uh, we could do what they were doing and we could offer we could upsell a lot of things for him that we thought that wouldn't have to be charged extra for. There were a lot of resources that we already had on hand, uh, so lots of times in the conversations prior were, well, can you do this? Well, sure, we could do that because it's already in the truck or. What about if we wanted to do this? Well, yeah, we can do that because we have that resource. It's already built into the truck. So the truck became a big selling point because it we proved to them on a lot of levels that there wasn't anything that they could throw at us that was out of the norm for us to do in a collegiate environment or a national broadcast uh, environment. The, the tools were already there and the truck is really like a Swiss army knife. What blade do you need? We can. We got the right tool here to get the job done. And that's the way I kind of always approached it was, you know, and if we don't have the tool, I can make sure we will get the tool you need to do the job. Let's talk about your crew. It's not just a truck that arrives on grounds. There are a lot of people and a lot of roles that you have to fill to make a live television show happen. Tell us about that. What kind of personnel are you working with when you go to tape um, an event live and then push it out as a, as a taped production? When we do almost any type of a broadcast, uh, obviously the truck arrives with uh an engineer, in some cases, if a show is large enough with two engineers, which we usually call the inside the truck engineer and the outside of the truck engineer, because obviously everything does not stay in the truck. The truck is designed in a way that you've got your central nervous system, your control room situation in the truck, but all of the ancillary equipment, the cameras, the microphones, any other gear that's needed outside the truck is stored in the truck. It goes out, it gets set up, Cabling is run from those camera positions or microphone positions or audio positions back to the truck where everything is plugged in, and then they can all be controlled then from inside the truck. But in an effort to do that, you need not only those two engineers in the truck, but you need a technical director, and that's the person who switches the show. That's the person who punches up the buttons when you say, I want to shot a camera too. So the technical director actually is the person who switches the show. It cuts between all the different camera sources, any kind of a tape roll-in section or a replay or has graphics that need to go in. All of those things are controlled by the one person who sits at the switcher and that person's job, they are the technical director of the show. They don't make the actual directorial decisions of what goes on, but they work alongside the director who sits next to the technical director. The director is the one who is watching this myriad of monitors up on the wall and says, oh, I like what's going on in camera one. Give me, take one. So he'll cut over to camera one. Okay, dissolve to camera four. I want a nice soft dissolve over to camera four. So that person is the artistic person who is saying, here's how I want the show flow to go. I want this to be a transitional thing like this. I want to, oh, now we have a name super. We need to put this person's name up on the screen. Bring in the person's name. So you read the name. Okay, Joe Smith. All right, director of whatever. All right, take the key back out. This is all the things that the technical director is doing throughout the show. So their hands are busy. They've got a lot of buttons to push, faders to slide back and forth and all of that. Next to the technical director at that front bench is the director, which we just talked about. They make the directorial decisions as to what camera, what is showing out, going out over the broadcast. Next to that person typically is the producer. The producer's job 
is to make sure that all of the elements that are required to put this show together get aired, including commercial breaks. Maybe there's a guest in the audience. You want to make sure the uh, person in the audience and uh, anything to do with uh, the flow of the show to make sure all of the elements that they're expecting to get are in that show. Elsewhere in the truck, we have uh, a graphics person that's at the second bench behind the producer and director. The truck is divided into different rooms. They are the ones responsible for any type of graphics that get put in on the production. Could be as simple as a name, a lower third name super. It could be a scroll going across the bottom uh, with some data information that needs to be put in. It could be a full screen graphic showing statistical information that uh, the clients want to have on. Maybe it's a PowerPoint type of situation where they have bullet points that they want to go while the speaker or the presenter is talking. So that's, that's a big area that's going on. Another part of the truck is the, the tape room where we do everything from recording and playing back elements that were pre-produced that are integral to the production of the show. So maybe you've got a commercial reel that needs to go in. So every time there's a commercial break, somebody back in that room is rolling those commercials out for the broadcast. That area is also has a replay area, a recording and replay area. So if you've got uh, in the sporting world, not so much in Dairy Expo, but if there's a great play in football and you want to see that play again, you can see it from three or four different camera angles because the person in that area is called, is running the replay equipment. We also have a section in the truck for audio. So any kind of audio mixes that are going on, music that gets played in the background, all the microphones that get opened and closed during a show, that's all done back in audio. And then the other part of the truck is video, where video shading, where the job is to make sure all of the cameras match so regardless of the number of cameras that are on the show, you want to make sure that when you cut between the cameras, the colors look exactly the same. You don't want, because your brain will play games with you and say, whoa, whoa that doesn't look right. You know, how come, uh, how come that uniform's purple on this camera, but it's blue on this camera? You know, it's, uh, it, it's a real skill just to get the video shading properly done. So just in the truck alone, there's, there's anywhere eight to 10 people that are just in the truck aspect of it. Outside the truck, we have a camera person at every camera position. In some cases, we'll have additional audio people that are running uh, parab microphones or getting a guest wired up to be interviewed during a halftime situation or uh, uh, a new CEO will walk out on stage and we'll put a wireless mic on that person so there'll be an additional audio person. So your crew uh, can be anywhere from a small crew to 12, between 10 and 12 to 15 to 20 people, depending upon the complexity of the uh, event that's going on. And World Dairy Expo is complex because you're working with two different show rings. You're shooting each ring unto itself, and then you're providing a combined show that gives the viewer the option to watch everything that's going in and on in the Coliseum floor as if you were sitting in the Coliseum itself. It is amazing to me, John, how you assemble people. And I think the other thing that the listeners have to appreciate is when you're going to a collegiate football game or a pro football game, you're committing to a four-hour game. And I was had to laugh the other day when you talked about you have to know who to cut away in the crowd. They were actually talking about that during the Packers and the, the Chiefs game the other day. Where is Taylor Swift going to be sitting? And that guy that's that's 
here for his 500th game in Lambo Field. We got to know where he is. And by golly, if he's going to the bathroom or getting a bag of popcorn, we better know when that is so that when we swing away to him, he's sitting in that seat when we go there. Anyway, there's all these complexities, I think, that are lost on people. They see this magic that you create. But boy, are there a lot of people behind the scenes scrambling to make that magic happen. And you bring them to us, to World Dairy Expo each year. Some are in that truck that's parked right outside where the cattle enter the hallowed ground of the Coliseum. And others are out and about on the grounds, making sure that all of the, the cable is dropped so that those people that are watching Expo TV live in the barns, in the trade mall, in the exhibition hall during the trade show, all of that too, John, you're stringing all of that cable to make it possible for that to be a real-time presentation of what's going on elsewhere on the grounds. Is that true? Yeah. And don't forget too, because not only are we covering the, the uh, activities that are going on in the Coliseum, but we've got the forage seminars that are way across campus in the trade show tent. We've got the, the virtual farm tours going on in the Mendota rooms over here, and we're doing those in multiple languages now. So the, all of those have to be integrated as well. So not only are we just uh, in this microcosm of just the truck, but we've got appendages all throughout the campus. So, and, and it starts early. It starts with getting uh, a recording of Alice uh, in Dairyland, her welcome, getting the president's welcome recorded, any other things, getting some B-roll so that we have uh, some shots of other things, other activities that are going on around the campus as well. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts that go on with the show throughout the week. So you're right. It's uh, it's not like a one-off, like a football game where, you know, you do a four-hour broadcast and then, okay, we're done. Everybody pack up. We go on to the next stadium down the road. This is a this is an endurance run to do Dairy Expo because you're putting in long days and you're putting in a very long week. Don't get me wrong. We love it, but it's it's a challenge to everybody that gets involved with it. And on the same that same token is that a lot of our crew, they sign up for this every year. They want to be part of Dairy Expo. First off, I know they love it. They, they all are from either Wisconsin or they have a dairy background or they've been a part of this for a number of years. And we like to bring those people back. And a lot of times they're giving up a college football package to go work for a network. They would rather come and work Dairy Expo because it's, First off, it's financially lucrative for them. But secondly, they know the drill. And I like that because they, they have committed to this as well. They want to be part of Dairy Expo. So it has a special meaning to them. We can't put a dollar figure on that. Just the fierce loyalty that you have to World Dairy Expo and Expo TV. And we started to talk about it. Like you said, a four-hour commitment for a football game, plus all of the front end, back end, and in between. We get that. But at World Dairy Expo, I don't know if you even know this, John, this year... You videotaped and captured 89 hours of activity on the Coliseum floor. That's just the dairy cattle shows. And as you alluded to just a moment ago, that does not include the dairy forage seminars, the Expo and Espanol presentations or the virtual farm tours or the education seminars, all of which also have de a dedicated channel on Expo TV. So the Dairy Cattle Show has uh, channel one has ring one, channel two has ring two, channel three is the combined experience in the Coliseum floor, and then channel four would be all of those educational programs that you capture throughout the week. And World Dairy Expo has grown, so has Expo TV. We talk about the volunteer 
volunteers that support things. And you made mention of the directors within the truck that decide which angle to cut away to, what footage to watch. I don't know if the listeners really appreciate, too, that in addition to the folks that you bring in, we have two special volunteers. It started out with one. I remember Diane Nichols, who served as World Dairy Expo's dairy cattle show manager. Once she left World Dairy Expo, came back as a volunteer to sit in the truck for the duration of the week. And she served to assist that director with choosing the shots and the angles and the fadeaways and what the viewer was going to see, which was marvelous because your crew, even if they do come from a dairy farm background, worked very well with her to determine what the content was that was going to be shown at the dairy cattle show. And now we've got Emily Navinsky and Jen Wackershauser sitting in there for the week trading off that seat to help assist with directing the show. And again, it's just a marvelous product that's put out there and folks can appreciate it on YouTube even now. It's it's there for posterity's sake. You can go back and revisit those special, special moments that took place on the colored shavings. So I guess at this point, too, could you tell us, John, how technology has impacted production and distribution of your product over the years? Television is evolving all the time. I can, and, and I will. I'd like to back up just a split second here and, and really thank our producers that we've had over the years, because even though our crew is knowledgeable of knowing what a cow is, they may not know the intricacies of what we are looking for, meaning Dairy Expo is looking for specifically on any one given cow that's in the show ring at that time. So it is an immense help that they are there. And I really want to make sure that they get the acknowledgement and the credit that they deserve for being there, because that is a tough job. It, it may not seem like it, but it's a very, very tough job. And especially for that length of time in a day. It's one thing to sit in a truck and, and produce and direct a, a football game for four hours, but to sit there and be be at the top of your game for 10 to 12 hours a day, th that's a remarkable thing. And I, I can't thank them enough for filling that position uh, and working with us uh, in that position. We can't thank you enough, John. This relationship for 18 now going on, we're going on 20 years, has been remarkable. Token Creek started something really special. I'm so glad that Mark Clark and you crossed paths at an event at the Coliseum and what this has spun into. I just wanted to share with the listeners that Expo TV is big. At the front end of this show, we talked about there being 72,000 plus unique viewers that watched this year's show. We also know that those viewers are watching from around the world from 137 countries. We know that those are accurate numbers, accurate statistics. Um, I have to bring about this little, little anecdote that I shared with you earlier. We know that we have viewers in all 50 states as well. And there was a time back in the day when we, when analytics, you know, were coming about and we were measuring, you know, who's out there, who's watching. And the staff here at World Dairy Expo said, my goodness, there are people from 49 of the U.S. states watching Expo TV. Somebody's not watching from which state. And it, it turned out to be the state of Wyoming. And the staff said, well, you know what? There's a former staff member living in the state of Let's call her and see if she wouldn't log into Expo TV. And let's see if I know how accurate these statistics really are. As soon as she logged in and watched Expo TV, Expo TV was being viewed in all 50 states of the union. So again, these are statistics we can trust. We've got during the history of broadcasting this, 18 years of showing it live and in person in the Coliseum, in the exhibition hall, on grounds in the barns. 
you've made all of that happen, John. But I think what we also need to be aware of is that during, well, the past 12 years, you've been at this for 18 years, but in the last 12 years, we've pushed this content out for public consumption on that free channel called YouTube. And oh my goodness, what a boon that has been. This is where the 72,000 people are watching while we've got 60,000 people sitting in Madison. But during the last 12 years, we know that we've had over 3 million, nearly 4 million. It was 3,779,564 views. And that was 471,586 hours of watch time. So what we know is that worldwide, there are people in 137 countries that during the last 12 years have spent almost half a million hours watching World Dairy Expo. That's amazing to me. Just amazing that World Dairy Expo should be so impactful and so revered and, and viewed worldwide. It's an incredible, it's an incredible event. Could we talk for just a minute too? We, we've talked about what you've built over the past 18 years. John, just looking into your crystal ball, what do you see as perhaps the future of Expo TV? You know, it's, I know I always go back, I revert back to sports because sports is an area that uh, I watch what's happening in, in the sporting world right now. If you look at uh, from an analytical standpoint, every play, every player, everything is analyzed. There's statistics on absolutely every aspect of, of the game. You know, quarterback ratings, passing ratings, all of the different functions and people use this you know, gambling is pretty much accepted in in the sporting world right now half the ads on it are for gambling like it or not that's what's going on and uh, so all these analytics are being used to compare one player against another player well look at his ratings compared to his ratings and i think that's probably the kind of thing you're going to start seeing in dairy expo and not necessarily that you're competing you know one entry against another but if you look at statistical information on it, and I think that's partially what is used in the judging, to me, I would imagine, and this is how I can see the future in this, is that while these cattle are being judged and the judges are disseminating this information to the group of people who are doing the judging, all of this information should become automatically, instantly available to the viewer, whether that is appears as a graphic on the screen uh, or comes up as a separate data feed uh, somehow back to the person that's watching the show. Uh, there's any number of ways that that could be uh, implemented. and But I think you're going to see a lot more statistical information that is immediately or very quickly uh, made available to the viewing audience. I think you're right. I think that that technology marriage, if you will, isn't so far off as people might think. I mean, think about it, people that have participated in, in foot races, um, marathons, they can put a chip in your back tag that's read as you cross checkpoints and they can tell, you know, people your real time results. Think if we married all of that we know about that animal and that exhibitor, if that was embedded or linked to the animal's RFID tag in her ear, you're right. You could be looking at her show winnings, her pedigree, information about the owner. There's so much perhaps that can be availed. But I look back at your career and I look at how you have married data, how you've married technology again, to create that magic of television. And John, we are so indebted to you for loving the dairy industry and bringing your two passions, the magic of television and the dairy industry together and in what has become Expo TV and honestly, so appreciated worldwide. 
thank you so much for being our guest on on the dairy show today and it just it brings up so many more questions but I love your vision for the future, and we certainly love what you've done for World Dairy Expo for the past 18 years. Thank you. John, again, thank you for looking into that crystal ball and telling us about the future of, of television, but let's talk a little bit about your future in television. Well, certainly. I announced at the post meeting at Dairy Expo in the fall that I am retiring uh, this coming year. And though I still want to be involved to some extent with Dairy Expo, I did sell my business 20 years to uh, Rush Media of Wanakee, Wisconsin. And I've had a great working relationship with Rush probably over the last eight years. They started out as a small video company, but they have been growing uh, quite rapidly. And I felt it was a good fit. So they bought the assets of Token Creek and they hired all of my employees, which I was even more happy about. So I am uh, working with uh, Rush Media right now to secure contracts for the next several years. And I think we'll have uh, continue to have a really great working relationship. A lot of the people that were former Token Creek employees are still involved with uh, Dairy Expo. So the transition will be as smooth as possible. And I will be around to at least make sure that that is going to happen. I can't imagine Expo TV without you at the helm. So I am relieved to hear that you plan to carry on in that capacity It's in some fashion. So, John, again, thank you for all of these years of commitment to Expo TV and World Dairy Expo. And thank you for being our guest on The Dairy Show. Thanks for having me. 